0: Maybe in your life, you sense some emptiness. Maybe you sense some incompleteness. You know, before I came to Jesus Christ, that's something that I had a gnawing emptiness, a gnawing sense of being incomplete. But you know, the Bible says we are complete in Jesus Christ. He's the one that completes us. A person can't really do that for us. It is our God. And it only makes sense that we will be incomplete until we are connected with Him. And so we're going to talk about that today. Being complete in Christ on Walk in Truth. You're listening to the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's Pastor Michael. The goal of ministry is to present people complete in Christ. You can be complete this morning in Christ. Don't think that you're the exception. Sometimes people hear stuff like this and they say, I'm the one person this is not going to work for. Is that you? It'll work for everybody else, but I'm never going to be complete in Christ. No, it works for everybody. Everyone, every person, every woman, every man, young or old or in between, you can be complete in Christ. Amen? That's what the Bible teaches. Now, the word complete is a word that we need to dig out a little bit. In the original language in the Greek New Testament, it's teleos. If you're interested, it's T-E-L-E-I-O-S. The different versions of our Bibles translate it differently, but the basic definition, if you look it up in a Greek lexicon, means growth, mental and moral character, to be perfect, complete, or adult. And so when you read English translations of the New Testament, they go in two different directions, teleon or teleos. The Greek word for perfect or complete is sometimes translated with the word perfect, and I'm quoting from Douglas Moo. He says, Neither of these translations of the word quite captures the sense of the word. Neither perfect nor mature captures it. Perfect is too strong, mature is too weak. Rarely does the word in the New Testament have the sense of our English idea of perfect with its connotations of absoluteness. Mature, on the other hand, is too relative inviting us to think that we are teleos as long as we are doing a bit better than some other Christians that we could name. Teleos connotes a quality of being so wholehearted in one's devotion to the Lord that one can be said to be blameless in conduct. Schweitzer puts it well. He says, to be teleos, or complete, is the complete and undivided way in which a person with all one's positive and negative attributes is oriented toward God, toward God, or toward Christ. Close quote. To be complete is to be moving in a direction where one's life is orient- oriented directionally toward God. It does not mean that you're not gonna have your hiccups and skin your knees, but it means that you are a man or woman who nobody has to guess where you're going. Nobody has to guess where the train is leading. You are oriented toward the God in whom you have placed your faith and the kingdom of God. Matthew 6.33, we based the 6.33 service upon it, is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what? He'll add add all these other things to you. So we could talk about the other things. Possessions and worry and food and clothing, and what are we gonna do, and what are we gonna eat, and what are we gonna drive? But that is shallow, my friends. And I don't know about you, but I don't wanna have a shallow or showy walk with Jesus Christ. You can have that, I don't want that. I wanna have deep roots with Christ. And it's gonna cause me to examine my own walk with Christ and ask some deeper questions like, am I going through the motions? Or am I a truly devoted follower to Christ? In the Old Testament, there's a Hebrew word, tamim. It's the Hebrew equivalent of this Greek idea for teleos. And tamim is a, a word used of Noah. In Genesis 6, 9, it says that Noah was blameless in his generation. and He found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, Noah wasn't sinless. But in his generation, he was a righteous man. He was a man who you didn't have to guess what Noah was about. And in fact, when Noah was given a building project, which was quite a project, by the way, to build an ark, he had probably never seen rain. He was probably 100 miles inland. He honored God and he began to build an ark. He was a man of faith. Extra-biblical literature says that people ridiculed him every day. He was the opening, you know, monologue joke uh, that people, everybody, everybody said, Oh, nutty Noah, you know, tapping away at the ark today. Hey, Noah, what do you think today? Go ahead, say something wacky. <laughs> but Noah tapped and preached, and he nailed nails and preached. And he really condemned his generation. He was a man who believed God. Am I? Are you? To admonish someone. You know, the tools that Paul would use to make people complete are found in verse 28. He admonished. What does that mean? That means he warned. That means it has the idea of setting right uh, a corrective influence on someone. It, 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 it is it, to lay on the heart of someone. It's a word often used of the raising of children. Sometimes we have to be admonished as Christians, amen? Sometimes we come into church and it's like, ow, stop stepping on my toes. Foo, 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 oh. These belong to you, Pastor Michael. No, they don't. They are yours. You may keep them. Arrows come at us, the sword of the spirit hurts. Sometimes, you know, people describe they they say I've been away from God and I go into a Sunday service and I feel like that preacher has a copy of my diary. I do. I steal them from your nightstands late in the night. No, I don't. In fact, when I first was going to church, I thought the pastor of that church had a copy of my diary. The problem was I didn't have a diary. And so the word admonishment has the idea of warning. And Paul was warning them against the false teachers in Acts 20, 30, 31. He said, I have not ceased to warn you day and night with tears. There's gonna be men who arise from your own number who will try to lead you away from the true Christ and the true message. Imagine Paul as he went around, around the Roman world uh, implementing these things, admonishing, teaching with the goal, verse 28, to present everyone Complete in Christ. See the word present there? It comes from the the Greek word peristemi, which is a technical term for the presentation of an offering of an animal without spot or without blemish. And Paul's singular goal was to get everybody to a point of maturity so he could present them to the Lord as his offering. Go to Romans, just a few pages back, Romans 15. Romans chapter 15. Look at verse 15. Romans 15, 15. Paul had not seen the Roman church face-to-face, nor had he met the Colossian church face-to-face, but he wrote letters to them, and to the church at Rome, Romans fifteen fifteen, he says, I have written very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given me from God, to be a minister, Romans fifteen sixteen of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, that my offering of the gentiles might become acceptable sanctified by the holy spirit paul saw his life moving inevitably toward a moment in what scholars would say is an eschatological sense or a last days or a bema seat final judgment idea where when he stood before his maker what he would present essentially to god is people that he had won to christ In 1 Thessalonians 2, just flip over there. It's a few pages to your right. 1 Thessalonians 2, as Paul addresses the Thessalonian churches, he says these words. He's talking about his relationship with the church, and he says, 1 Thessalonians 2, he talks about the spiritual battle that Satan got in the way, and he says, 219, 1 Thessalonians, for who is our hope or joy or crown or exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming, for you are our glory and our joy? Turn back to Colossians. Here's Paul's point. I believe there's going to come a day when I present something to the Lord, and I personally do not believe it's literal crowns. I believe the crown that I will place at Jesus' feet one day is people, people people that I've had an influence on, people that I've won to Christ, people that I've prayed for. Maybe I supported a missionary and he won somebody to Christ. I believe they're gonna be our crown of rejoicing on that day. I believe when Christ says, well done, thou good and faithful servant, it's going to be completely related to your faithfulness and gospel ministry. And I'm not sure the modern church really has a very good handle on that. See, our walks, you guys, are not just about us. One day, you're going to make a presentation to your Lord as well. You're going to lay down a crown before him. Hopefully, it's not going to be one of those mini Burger King crowns with fits on a doll's head. This is all I have, Lord. No, I want a crown that's large because I believe that everything I do on this planet to try to win people to Christ I'm going to offer it back to him that's what Paul believed so Paul says Colossians 129 for this purpose also I labor I ask you do you have a purpose what's your purpose for living well Paul's purpose was to win converts to Christ and he says I labor for this purpose also I labor see the word labor there it's it's working to the point of exhaustion it's it's gospel laboring here And I strive or striving according, but here's how I do it. I do it according to what? His power. See the word power there? It's where we get our word energy. It speaks of superhuman power. His power, which mightily works within me. If the ministry was all about my fleshly efforts, we ought to just pack up and go home. But if the ministry is about the power of Almighty God moving through an ordinary individual's life like you and me, you at work, you in the grocery line, you wherever you may be, at a park on a Saturday, just keeping your heart open to the fact that everyone is incomplete without Christ, God will give you a mission field. And so he says, I labor. I'm striving. The word striving is agonizomai. That's a big greek word it's where we get the word agony in english the greek verb refers a to. you'll hear more from pastor michael in a moment but first what are you wrestling with in your life in ephesians chapter 6 the apostle paul says our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers the powers and against the spiritual forces of wickedness it's no secret the christian life is difficult but you can take comfort in knowing you are not alone in Pastor Michael Lance's book, Suit Up, he shows you a revealing look at God's armor and how the Lord will equip you to face the world. You'll learn about the nature of the battle, who the real enemy is, and God's provision to be victorious. Learn about how each piece equips you for spiritual battle when you get your copy of Suit Up today on walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. God will give you a mission field. And so he says, I labor. I'm striving. The word striving is agonizomai. That's a big Greek word. It's where we get the word agony in English. The Greek verb referred originally to competing. It was used for agonizing in an athletic event or fight. Have you ever watched a a marathon runner agonizing in the last lap of the race? You can see the pain on their face. (laughs) Have you ever seen a mom on a Saturday morning? It's a similar pain. (laughs) Mom's have to agonize, my. That should be your new word, mom. Why? Because you're doing something similar. You're trying to move little kids to a point of completion. <laughs> pastors and mothers have the same job, pretty much. Mom's the hardest job, pastor's about second. <laughs> Just kidding. It's probably down the list pretty far. But here's the point. Getting people to a point of maturity can be agonizing. You may spend your life, lots of times, agonizing over people, situations. You may be losing sleep because you're agonizing over a child that's wayward. And look, we understand that. Paul went through that all the time. He said, look, which, he said, I have a constant burden on my heart for all the churches. Imagine, Paul, he planted all these churches in pagan-dominated lands where there was all this false teaching and there was all this uh, polytheism and a pantheon of gods and goddesses. He was always concerned that false teaching might move converts away from the truth. And so he says, NIV, I struggle with all his energy. You see, here's the key. Let it be God's energy, not yours. His energy powerfully works in me. George Whitfield's preaching was getting people out of their beds in Edinburgh. A man on the way to the great tabernacle met a man named David Hume, David Hume was the Scottish philosopher and skeptic of Christianity. Surprised at meeting him on the way to hear Whitfield preach, the man said, I thought you didn't believe in the gospel. To which Hume replied, I don't, but he does. When there's a man on fire or a woman on fire and it's the power of the Holy Spirit, it's superhuman. It's something that you can sense that's beyond the normal stuff when you meet people and you know talk about the various and sundry topics that you can talk about. And so we need the power of God in our lives. That's what Paul had. That's why he did what he did. He said, I want you to know, moving to chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea, one of those sister churches as we described in the opening of this book, Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face. Everybody look at your Bible, chapter 2 verse 1. See that word Laodicea there? You all who have read the Bible at all and read the book of Revelation, you know there's a Laodicean church in Revelation 3. And do you remember when Laodicea is addressed by John in Revelation? Do you remember what Laodicea's problem is? They are lukewarm. And Jesus said, I wish that you were hot or cold, but you are neither hot nor cold. And because you are lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Here's my point. If Paul wrote Colossians in the early 60s AD, most scholars believe Revelation's about 95. And by the way, we're studying Revelation on Wednesday nights. If you want to come, we just opened the book, 7 o'clock. But when he writes in AD 95, it took that church probably just about 30 years to go from probably a solid church to lukewarm. And I would say in a lot of people's lives, it doesn't take 30 years. Sometimes it takes 30 minutes. Sometimes it takes 30 days. And the reason is, is because we can get captivated with other things that draw us away. And Paul says, I'm struggling. I want you to know of my struggle on your behalf. Paul says, for all those who have not personally seen my face. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, with all of us struggling with our prayer lives and what to pray for, how much emphasis do you put in your prayer life on churches you've never met before? How much do you pray for people you've never, never met before? Well, that was Paul. And I don't think Paul's just talking about prayer. I think he's talking about doctrine. The word originally here for the struggle was derived from the place where Greeks assembled for the Olympic Games, a place where they agonized in wrestling and foot races, and where they fought to win. If I were Paul, I would have wrote the Colossians and said, would you pray for me? I'm in prison. Pray, get all the people to pray for me. When you, if I would have wrote a letter, I would have wrote that. I'm in prison. Help me. Pray for me. Bring me food. I wouldn't have said, I'm struggling praying for you. you, you you're walking around free and colossi. How bad could it be? But Paul had such a heart. Here he is writing the prison epistles, saying, I'm struggling for you. Here's the goal. That their hearts, verse 2, may be encouraged. Paul wanted the Christians to be encouraged, having been knit together in love. The word for encouraged there is paraclain, a form of pericleo. It means to call alongside It's the idea here that Paul wanted the church not to be discouraged, but encouraged. Here's the thing. You can be an encourager or a discourager. Encourage means to put courage into people. To discourage means you take courage out of people. Which are you? It depends on the day and the freeway traffic, frankly. (laughs) Right? But But Paul was an encourager. He says, look, I want them to be knit together in love. How many of you ladies are knitters? Raise up your hand if you knit. My grandmother was a knitter. My wife is an excellent seamstress. And often those who knit make stuff for other people, sweaters, for dogs. (laughs) No, just kidding. (laughs) But my grandma would make blankets. And the, the idea of the knitting was to cover you. It was a it, the knitting project was often with somebody else in mind. Amen? I'm, oh, I'm going to make this for so-and-so. I'm going to make this for so-and-so's new baby. I'm going to make this to cover up my grandson, etc. It's an act of love. Well, Paul says, I want you guys to be knit together. Francis Schaefer said, the ultimate apologetic of the church is our unity. And can you imagine if, if you were a fly on the wall in the Colossian church and you heard people debating these ideas? Like, What do you believe? Do you believe in the esoteric knowledge? Do you think that we need to start to use these secret symbols and signs? Do you think we have to read these extra books? Because they say that unless you have the secret knowledge, you really can't be in and Christ is not enough. What do you think? I don't know. I, I disagree. Uh, back and forth and up and down it would go. And Paul says, you better stay together because the devil is a divider. And he often uses false doctrine. Somebody gets on a hobby horse about a particular doctrine. It could be uh, a doctrine of, you know, Calvinism or or Arminianism or uh, timing of the rapture. And they take an essential, uh, non-essential and move it to the point of an essential. And often churches are divided. Paul says, I want you to be knit together. Uh, My wife has a sign. uh, It says, a day hemmed in prayer will not come undone will not unravel. There you go. A day hemmed in prayer will not unravel. That's a good one. Go to Colossians 3, look at verse 14. Colossians three fourteen. 14. Oh, go back to verse 13. It says, bearing with one another, three thirteen, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So Paul says, I want you to be knit together in love because the false teachers are trying to divide you guys. And don't you understand this is what the enemy does? I want you to attain, look at verse 2, chapter 2, all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself. If you want to know, if you want to just have it boiled down There's no hidden stuff you need. The secret has been revealed. God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, God put his love on display at the cross. God's not keeping it secret. Christ lived in the very history in which we are now walking. Those of us who go to Israel next March will walk on ground where he walked. We will sail on waters that he walked on we will see that in the very history in which we are embedded, archaeological manuscript and other evidences for the God of the Bible. In fact, the evidence is all around us. Paul says, I want you to know. I want you to have this full assurance. I don't want you to be captivated by these false arguments. For in Jesus Christ, verse 3, chapter 2, are hidden how many? All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Who must Christ be? Think about it. Who must Christ be if all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in him? He must be God. And that's exactly who he is. He is God. He is the repository, the great storehouse of all riches and spiritual wisdom. The massive ignots, as one writer puts it, of solid gold, which when coined into creeds and doctrines are the wealth of the church. It's all in Christ. You don't have to go anywhere else. It's all in him. They're hidden in him. See the word hidden there? It's apocryphos. It's where we get the idea of the apocryphal books or the apocrypha. Has the idea of hidden here. And some scholars believe that Paul's using an idea in the false teachers. The false teachers said there was secret hidden knowledge that you had to climb up a stairwell to a smoky room and there would be hooded figures there and with the right code and the right uh, uh, secret Passage words. What's the secret passage? Uh, I, I don't know. Double double. Yeah. Okay. You can come in. It's almost lunchtime. Sorry. And and now we'll reveal to you the secret of all secrets. You can now be in the club. Wait a minute. I thought the secret was revealed, and the secret is Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, the mystery has been revealed. It's Christ, and He is the repository of all wisdom and knowledge. I'd like to remind you that we are praying about adding more radio stations to more radio markets this year, so many more people can hear Walk in Truth and grow in their daily walk as they commute, as they listen at home in their faith and discipleship. As a thank you this month, we'd like to get you a copy of Suit Up!, putting on the full armor of God. Man, this world is so filled with temptation and uh, potholes and all kinds of things that come at us, and we need to learn how to put on what God has provided. Well, if it's on your heart to partner, you can give online, set up monthly giving. You can even send to our mailing address and give that way as well. Just visit walkintruth.com, click on the donate button at the top, And just in case, let me give you our mailing address if you'd like to send by snail mail, as they say. (laughs) Uh, It's Walk in Truth 1009 Arsenal Way, Corona, California, 92880. Again, it's Walk in Truth 1009 Arsenal Way, Corona, California, 92880. Well, we'll talk to you on Monday so you can hear the conclusion of the message complete in Christ. Until then, have a blessed weekend. Make sure you worship at a local Bible teaching church and participate in serving at your home fellowship. God bless you. We appreciate you. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.